Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, November the 15th, 2021. Uh, we're just off the weekend. I had a delightful weekend uh, in San Francisco. All weekends, of course, in San Francisco are delightful. But this one was particularly delightful. I saw a new movie, uh, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, his memories of his childhood, his return to his childhood. Everyone, of course, is familiar with Sir Kenneth Charles Branner, as uh, Wikipedia reports on him. He's a, a very distinguished English Shakespearean actor and uh, now a, almost a, an intellectual celebrity. But as Wikipedia reminds us, he began his life as um, the, the, the child of a um, working class Northern Irish uh, couple who, who left, who left Northern Ireland. And this movie, Belfast, um, as I said, is, is memory of childhood. Uh, it's, been, um, it's been very well reviewed. Uh, one suggests that uh, Belfast uh, skirts politics with a child's eye view of the troubles. New York Times suggests that um, uh, Branner looks at um, his childhood with what they call rose-tinted lenses. It's interesting that both of these reviews feature the same image of uh, Branagh's family watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the ultimate uh, fantasy uh, of remembering childhood. Um, it's a kind of return, and I'm interested that today, uh, in keeping with Branagh's movie, uh, Belfast, we're talking about return. Uh, my guest today is Kamal Al-Salaili. He's a prize-winning, very distinguished Canadian writer, non-fiction writer, who has written three books. Return is his latest. It's a very interesting book of chapters about return. And interestingly enough, one of the chapters is about Northern Ireland. I'm thrilled that um, Kamal is joining us from Vancouver, just up the coast um, in Canada, a very different country. Uh, Kamal, have you seen uh, Branagh's Belfast yet? I haven't yet. No, no, unfortunately. But it sounds it sounds really right up my alley, given given the uh, the focus on returning to his childhood in Belfast. Yeah. Yeah, and as I said, one of your chapters is about uh, one of the one of the chapters um, in. Um, in, in return is about Northern Ireland. Tell me about this book. Uh, many other chapters. Um, it's a very personal book, but it's also a travel book. You go mm. to the Basque country, you go to Palestine, you go to Israel, you go to Taiwan, you go to Ghana. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the narrative in the book, The Return? Well, the book started from a very personal place. Um, I originally uh, from Yemen. Um, I was born in Aden, the south part of Yemen, but my family lives in Sana'a. And as you, Andrew, as you probably know, the country has been embroiled in a civil war now for about seven years, coming up to seven years. Um, and I just been feeling really guilty and uncomfortable about the fact that I have family there and I really haven't been able to visit them for about 15 years now. Um, so I started, as I got older, started thinking about return, about what it would mean to go back 
to where I come from to sort of to put this journey of traveling to the West. I've been I've been living in England and then in Canada now for 33 years. And and I think the tenor of conversation around um, immigration and race and Islam and Islamophobia has, you know, has changed so much that I started to question my place uh, here in Canada. At the time I, the, the book was written, I was living in Toronto. I started to question that. Um, and I started to sort of fantasize what it would mean to go home, to just be in a place where I where I look like everyone else, where I'm where I am where where I am literally in my homeland. And uh, but I didn't I didn't really want to write a memoir, and I didn't really want to necessarily um, sort of write a piece about uh, you know the return of the prodigal son. For one thing, you know it was impossible to return to Yemen during the war. Um, and I'm, I am a journalist, I'm a nonfiction writer, and I just wanted to put my story in the context of a global movement uh, where, um, it, where millions of people uh, move from their adopted homeland to go back to um, their, their country of origin. In most cases, it's the country that they've actually escaped from or, or, or were forced out of. Um, and 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 I, you know, when I began the book, I just wasn't sure there would be enough um, for a full book, and I eventually had to sort of reduce the scope of the book because return is such a big global story. It's the is the part of the immigration cycle that we don't talk about as much. We talk a lot about people coming in, particularly to the West, moving in, whether as immigrants and refugees, but we don't talk about those who decide. No matter what, what their place of origin might be, they, they, those who decide to go home, uh, and what happens when they go home, and why they go home, and how are they welcomed or not welcomed in their homeland? It's a very um, it's a very philosophical book, and the idea of return, of course, Kamal is deeply philosophical, perhaps mm -hmm. most suited in an odd way to Canada. One of the other things I did this weekend was saw a, a Leonard Cohen exhibit at the Jewish Museum of New York. And of course, mm. Cohen's preoccupation was a kind of return, a return to childhood, a return to Canada, mm. a return to innocence. And one of the, the people uh, who was featured uh, in, the, uh, in this really interesting uh, uh, representation of Cohen, um, you, you've written, of course, a book called uh, Brown, um, mm -hmm. was uh, perhaps the Canadian authority on belonging, Adrian Clarkson. Of course. Um, I've interviewed Adrian for another show, How to Fix Democracy. And I was intrigued that Adrian also pops up at the beginning of your book. Mm -hmm. um, what is it about Canada that makes it this breeding ground for philosophizing about belonging, Kamal? I think, I, you know, I think it's because it's a relatively new country and a country with such an unsettled history um, or a history that is still pretty much um, uh, being debated, uh, particularly um, around um, the relationship between uh, settlers and indigenous, indigenous populations. Um, and I think because it's, it's a country that, is, that has um, accepted um, a huge number of immigrants, uh, in the last, particularly since the 1960s, when uh, Pierre uh, Elliott Trudeau uh, changed, um, changed the immigration law and, and then shortly after started the multiculturalism as a, as a, as a, as a federal policy, as a public policy. Um, and it has been it has been going on for for decades now. But 
But really, I don't think uh, it has been uh, dis discussed or debated, or it's not as much in the public conversation um, as it should be. Who, who is a Canadian um, remains a question. I mean, it, 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 that, it, that is very hard to sort of quantify, to, to, to propose an answer to. I am a Canadian. I have been a Canadian citizen for 21 years. Um, but but I am a naturalized Canadian, and my my right to that citizenship is um, subject to being uh, like would, for that citizenship to be withdrawn from me, if there's if you know there's a, there's a really high bar for that to happen. But but none of my Canadian-born white Canadian-born um, uh, colleagues and friends will ever think of, you know, would ever even entertain the possibility that the citizenship can be withdrawn from them. Um, so I think what, what's happening in Canada is that we are still, we're a very multicultural society with generations from different parts of the world and the story of Canada keeps changing. Um, I don't think anyone can tell you that uh, here's a definitive story of Canada or here's a definitive take on Canada. Because in a, I just left Toronto uh, to move to Vancouver about three months ago. And in that city, Toronto was just the largest city in, in, in Canada. Um, more than 51% of the population identifies as a visible minority. Um, and this, I don't know the exact number, but, I'll, you know... I'll, I'll yeah, I, 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 I think there's a very, very vivid contrast between Canada and the United States. I've given a lot of speeches in Canada, and I've always struck mm. with a remarkable diversity. Uh, there's a... There's a... I would, I would say a, a tolerance, an openness in your book, even if I guess there's some anger and there's some critique. I wonder if you've ever thought, Kamal, had your family taken the left rather than the right exit and mm -hmm. ended up in the United States, whether you would have been capable of writing this kind of book had you landed in America? It's a very, and, and I don't mean to pigeonhole you, but it's mm -hmm. a very Canadian rather than American kind of book. Is that fair? Uh, I, I, I mean, it's funny you should say that because um, one of the criticism of the book is that there isn't a lot of Canadian content in it. Um, but it's not the, the content; it's right. it's the philosophy. It's the, the philosophy. It's the, the the state of mind, shall we? Say. I, I would I would agree with that because I think if you if you're a writer or a thinker in Canada, part of that part of that mission is to be suspicious about nationalism in Canada to be. To have to, to keep your guard up a little bit about any kind of rosy picture of Canada, um, so maybe maybe in that sense that I when I when I wrote the book I wasn't really trying to um, defend Canada or or to make a case for Canada or anything that wasn't on my mind. I I, I love this country actually I, I genuinely do, um, uh, but I don't feel like I have to be its ambassador around the world. Uh, Kamal, I wonder, one of the reasons why the Canadians have done such a better job in terms of coming to terms with their past is thinking much more responsibly and accountably about Indigenous peoples. Mm -hmm. uh, I had Margaret Jacobs on the show recently, an American writer who mm -hmm. has written an important book about the essentially Holocaust of Indigenous people by American settlers. Uh, do you think there's some truth to that? And of course, the whole indigenous narrative is is bound up in in returning. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about 
the Canadian versus the American approach to recognizing their crime in appropriating the land of, of, of indigenous peoples? I think I think this is a relatively more recent conversation in Canada. Um, I mean, I think right now, um, in, in we are, this is an this this has sort of emerged as the single most important conversation politically in Canada. Um, that and climate change, uh, I would say, are the two top conversations. And Adrian Clarkson, as the I think, what was she, the Governor General? She did a very good job introducing this conversation, right? Well, the new Governor General of Canada is uh, um, is an, um, um, an Indigenous person as well, and uh, but but Adrian Clarkson, of, of course, I mean, as you said, she pops up in my book as well, uh, because that that particular book um, about belonging, like I just really I read it and it it felt it felt to me that I was I was I was trying to engage with his ideas, but I, there, there was a kind of an agreement between us. It's like once you feel that that connection with the place you live in is not mutual, it's not going in both ways, that sense of belonging or lack thereof can have profound effect on on your on your place in um, in this in, in the country, in the city, in in your relationship with the society around you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's. I'm, I'm so glad you you, you brought up. Um, uh, well, it was coincidental because I was reading your book this morning, and then mm-hmm. her name popped up. And I thought I've just seen her name, and of course, she was <laughs> featured in um, in this exhibit on Cohen. Um, right. You, as I said earlier, you're also the author of uh, Brown: What Being Brown in the World Today Means for Everyone. There's mm-hmm. a lot of discussion on being brown on race and identity um, Mm. in this new book, Return. How does that play out in terms of returning? Of course, um, one of the themes in Belfast was that Catholics and Protestants are indistinguishable. Mm. Um, They look the same. They talk the same. They even, as the book, as the movie reminds us, have the same name. But when you're brown as opposed to white, the issue of return is more complex, isn't it, Kamal? Absolutely. I mean, whether you're brown or black uh, or just generally racialized, there's a there's a certain additional element to your return story. Um, as you know, in the book, I talk to people from Northern Ireland and from the Basque region who, you know, identify as white. Um, and this is not, return is not necessarily a race, a book about race, but it's informed by race. Um, and their, their, story, their return stories were very different from that of people who, uh, return, say, to Ghana, or return to Jamaica, um, or return to, as you mentioned earlier in the book, you know, Israel and Palestine, um, in the sense that there was, for those people particularly who returned to Ghana or Jamaica, there was there's always an element of race that, that drove them out of North America or Europe, that made their return to Jamaica or Ghana, and in some cases, return, I use the term the word return very loosely because they've never set foot in some of these countries, but they go back, they go to the country that they believe to be their motherland, um, informed by their experience of race, um, in, particularly in North America. Um, so in that sense, um, while, while, you know, while the, you know, the philosophical concept of race, of return kind of transcends race, it, it, it's something that happens for everybody. Uh, or, or any anybody from any cultural background um, can choose to return to their homeland. It is happening with much more regularity among racialized, um, no, let's say North American Canadian, because the, the bulk of my characters are from the U.S. and Canada, um, because they are 
have experienced the, the kind of this thing of race of racism and the weight of having to be the racialized person in the room. And, and it's, 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 a, it's a sentiment that I completely related to. It would be so nice to live in a place where race is not a factor, where your skin color is not a factor. Well, it's a wonderful book. Um, it's about skin color, but it's about a lot more. We are going to, excuse the pun, return in a couple of minutes uh, to uh, more discussion on returning geography, land, and what it means to be a citizen in the early 21st century. So we'll see you in a couple of minutes. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it. But I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keenon. We have returned to our discussion <laughs> on the return. Sorry about mm. these jokes. Yes, try not to uh, do it again. Um, we are with uh, Kamal Al Selaili, uh, the author of a really interesting and important new book, The Return. Kamal, um, it occurs to me that we're changing our sense of geography. Your, your book is about geography. Um, recently, uh, and this is a quote that I put up probably more than any other quote in the show. I had the American travel writer, essayist Tom Zollner on the show, who's written a really interesting book about America. And he writes, the American concept of geography has undergone a powerful shift. Place is less important than it has ever been to those who can free themselves from it yet more important to those who aren't able to leave it. That, of course, explains this coastal division in America between a white working class that's stuck between the coasts and this new globalized elite. But I wonder whether it's a little bit more complicated than that. It seems to me that in, um, in your book, Return, it's about your return to, to Yemen, your idealized version of Yemen, and it's deeply autobiographical. 
But of course, you can only afford to do that because you're part of a, a cosmopolitan elite, an intellectual, a writer, someone who's just moved from Toronto to um, to Vancouver. So, uh, sorry, coming back to uh, coming back to the uh, the Zolna quote. What's happened to geography in the early part of the twenty first century? I think what happened really is a digital a digital revolution and the fact that our sense of distance and place um, has moved from the physical into possibly the digital and um, and you know down the line will be the virtual. I feel I feel like my it's the metaverse, Camel. Uh, uh, as, uh, as Mark Zuckerberg has tried to appropriate the entire digital space. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I just feel like my connection to the Middle East is no longer um, determined by the distance from it. Um, now I can read, I mean, I have been for a number of years, I can read local Arabic newspaper online. I speak quite, you know, for free with my family on a number of apps. I can go to YouTube and watch whatever I want uh, or Netflix or whatever. I just feel that the physical distance that has existed between immigrants and their homeland has shrunk. And therefore, the sense of sort of connection to that homeland has actually got stronger because they they can seem for many of that many of us. But is it a fetishization? Is it sort of Jean Jacques Rousseau uh, on digital steroids, Kamal? That <laughs> we can all go online and and, and look right. at images of of Yemen or Belfast yeah. or Taiwan mm-hmm. or Jamaica, but we're never really there. When um, um, you know, but ab- absolutely, but. You know, tra- I mean, again, travel has before the pandemic. You know, this is a book that was reported before the pandemic. Obviously, I mean, being able to you know pack a bag and go somewhere uh, has never been easier. You know, like the pandemic aside. So even even and and with with the availability of cheaper flights, um, you know, there was a time in which that long distance flight would have been so cost prohibitive that only few people could afford it, uh, or you'll take an, a long uh, you know, uh, right, a, a, a trip on a boat uh, to get, or a ship to get to where you, where, where you, where you come from. I think, I think that you know, the distance has been shortened both physically and emotionally. But I also, I also you know, to, sort of to, to go back to your question around geography, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that, that I, my, my return fantasy is completely informed by my privilege. Um, as someone who's an academic, who's an author, who can afford to leave all this behind um, and go somewhere that is in the middle, you know, choose to go somewhere that is in the middle of a war. Um, because I, I, I will have a few more privileges, including my Canadian passport that can get me out of trouble if and when that happens. Um, and I think, I think in many ways, this is, a, this is a book about a kind of a reverse journey of globalism. I mean, globalism has always, has always been understood, um, um, particularly when it comes to the movement of people, the movement of people to, 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 to places where they can gain economically. Um, but many people kind of um, in this book have, have actually taken financial, financial hits. To go back to their to their home to their homeland because there is more there's more to what they want out of life than a financial success story in the West, for example. Yeah, we had. Uh, I'm not sure you're familiar with this book, Parag Khanna's new book. He's a Singapore-based geostrategist. Yeah, move, yeah. He has a new book out called, appropriately enough, "Move," and and mm-hmm. actually, it's it's perfect complement to your book, "Return." I guess Parag. 
writes more as a, a geostrategic thinker, but he very much presents this issue of moving in also the context mm. of not just the global pandemic, but the climate crisis and the need mm. for people to move, but fits the narrative into our story as a species as one of mm. moving. Uh, mm. So there's nothing, I think, in Parag's mind, there's nothing unnatural about moving. It, it is the core of our story. Would you agree with him? Absolutely. I haven't, I haven't actually haven't read that book, but I've now listened to a couple of interviews with him. And, um, and I, w- I would say that our argument is the same. It's the, I mean, where, where, I dif- where, where I sort of part company with him is, is in the direction of the move. Um, um, the move, you know, people have, always, I think he's mostly talking about um, sort of the, the effect of climate change and, and climate refugees and people moving to avoid um, to escape the worst of climate uh, catastrophe, um, and I'm I am sort of I am sort of looking at people who choose to go back to 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 destinations that are either troubled or contested. I mean, one of I chose destinations in this book where yeah. where the homeland itself is contested. Uh, obviously, the biggest one would be the Arab-Israeli conflict, but also right. China, and, and, China and, and Taiwan. Of course. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious, you, we, we talked a little bit about climate. Um, mm-hmm. Thomas Friedman wrote an influential piece about Syrian civil war a few years ago, suggesting it was essentially a war as a consequence of the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Is the same true about uh, Yemen? Um, is the, how would you make sense of, and I'm showing some headlines now for people listening, Uh, Some headlines from the last day or two about this ongoing civil war in Yemen. Mm -hmm. How bound up in climate and the environment is the human catastrophe of what's happening in Yemen? Oh, I, ex- extremely bound up because, um, uh, for one, for one thing, um, uh, the, the country is ex- is experiencing a famine, and I also think, um, and and that famine has come from an increase, a more um, dry uh, temperature, um, less rain uh, in parts of Yemen, so that has left the country unable to grow its own produce, for example. But I also think uh, the, the 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 climate aspect it has a has affected the region um, as a whole because, in, in the sense of uh, the, the oil boom in Yemen, um, has has ended. As you know, and, and for for the longest time, that 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 country's economy relied on um, just playing a little bit of a small part in the sort of the Gulf region oil. Right, and oil that's the economy. importance of Aden, which you talk about in the book, as this sort of legacy of colonialism and of the right. oil industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 at the moment, the country is experiencing, uh, you know, the, you know, famine, um, drought, uh, and also um, it's one of the countries that are predicted to to run out of clean running water within a few years. Uh, all of these are direct consequences of climate change. I loved your chapter on what's titled "Competing Returns." Of course, mm. the tragedy. Uh, of Palestine, Israel. What happens mm. in a situation like Palestine, Israel, where two peoples are competing to return? Mm-hmm. Well, what uh, to be honest, what happens is there is uh, 
they can only the ideal scenario is that both will be able to return and that is the two-state solution um, um, but what actually was actually happening is that uh, maximalists from both sides or people who have uh, very strong feelings uh, or strong political belief um, really see that there can only be one return so for 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 Palestinians to return to their homeland is really an existential would be an existential threat to um, to, to to the very existence of the state of Israel, um, and 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 for the Palestinian, they cannot be um, they cannot be a sort of resolution um, uh, to that to that conflict without the right the you know the right to return not just to just any spot on the map that that, that they'll call Palestine. But to the to the to the to the homes, to this to the villages from which um, they they had to leave, um, and obviously the, the law of return in Israeli um, parliament and Israeli um, uh, uh, just just enshrined in Israeli uh, law is is just allows anyone who um, who 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 can prove. Um, their Jewish heritage and Jewish identity. There are some. There's some. There's some exceptions um, um, to just to, to come to come to to Israel, to Zion, to the Promised Land. Um, so more and more people are coming from from other parts of the Arab world, from Yemen, from Iraq, but from Eastern Europe, from North America, and of course, the, you know, it's 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 not um, it's not a very large part of the world. So. So we, we are actually now, that is a, a, a competing return, uh, both ideologically, but also on the ground. Well, they're running just, out of geography. Geography is Geography. Fine. They're running uh, out of space. Of... Yeah. And a lot of the settlements in, uh, in Israel now are sort of moving uh, vertically um, and, um, and, and, and just like moving up because just, just like high rises, which, which, you know, the only way you can accommodate the influx um, of people who choose to return to Israel. Speaking of movies, we, we, we began with a reference to Belfast. The current, mm-hmm. and I think Belfast, perhaps because of its feel-good nature, has a very good chance of winning an Oscar for Best Movie this year. Mm-hmm. The current um, holder of Best Movie um, is uh, Nomadland. Uh, we had Jessica Bruder, the author of Nomadland, uh, the book on the show recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nomadland speaks of a new world of a precariat of people moving around the world. Um, what do you make, not of the book or the movie Nomadland, uh, Kamal, but more the concept, the idea that people won't have a place to return to because they'll live everywhere. This has been idealized in Silicon Valley of people who quite literally just travel around the place and don't have a home. Is this conceivable in our digital world? I think I thought so until the pandemic happened, and and what I noticed du- uh, during the pandemic is this urge for people to come home, to return to the country where, um, where among other things they are eligible for, say, healthcare, um, and where they would feel safe. And and the example I use in the book is New Zealand, the return of of uh, thousands of New Zealanders that have been living abroad, doing exactly what you're talking about, working in Silicon Valley, working in New York, working in London. And when it came to such a, such a powerful crisis, such a once-in-a-century type um, uh, global crisis as the pandemic, they, they actually returned to their, home, to their homeland. And, and I mentioned both the, uh, the internal migration of workers from India and China who have moved to the city to seek better opportunities and work, 
And when those opportunities dried up, they all returned to the homeland. I mention all of that because I do think the pandemic may change that global narrative um, of the everywhere, the everywheres and the somewheres. Um, yeah, yes, and I, that's David Goodhart's that's right. language. Um, David's an old friend who's been on the show a couple of times. A great, a great simple way of describing um, uh, what, what to some extent is also behind a lot of the, uh, the, the sort of the cultural uh, problems and, and political problems happening in the U.S., um, whether there's a perception of global elites on either sides of the of, of on, by, on the other side of, of the United States coasts, or um, and then the people who are just maybe um, born, raised, went to school, uh, worked, and started families in the place in the same place. I mean, I am always surprised when I meet friends who say, "I went uh, in Toronto," say that was my school, and this is where I was born in this hospital. That is something for people like me. Are uh, who just sort of move, who have moved around so much. I lived in Beirut, in Cairo, in uh, in England and Canada. Um, that is not something I cannot point to a place and say this is my this is where I was born. That that is the you know the the uh, the, the somewheres in, in in the world and um, all of that is up in a state of flux. I would I would argue. Um, let's see how it plays out after when when and if the pandemic is truly behind us. But I would say that some of these certainties that we've taken for, for granted about globalism might come into some revision because of, because of the pandemic. Kamal, aren't we collectively and simultaneously somewheres and nowheres, all of us? We had mm. um, your Canadian, I think he's a friend of yours, Omar Mualem oh. on the show recently, yes. mm -hmm. written an excellent book about the influence of Islam on the Americas. Mm -hmm. Aren't we in need for more books like that to remind us that everyone is influenced everywhere? And the idea of a home is by definition in flux, that we're all, we're all participants in this kind of collective nomad land. I mean, Omar's book is great, and I, I, I really loved it when I, and I think it's one of the most important books that came out of Canada in the last few years. Um, and I, I think what, what, what he's trying to do here is to actually say that what the, the notion of history and citizenship and who's American, who's Canadian, uh, that, we've, that, that we have been, that has been drummed into, uh, in, into us, or that, have been, that, that has occupied the official text of these countries, is overdue for a revision. There's a lot of buried history and a, a, a lot of unknown history or history that has been maybe out there, but has not. no one has come in and sort of excavated. Um, and I do think that that, that, that would be, that would be the, um, that would, that, that is a, I don't want to say trend or anything because that's not the right word, but you will see more and more books. For example, you know, books that are look at um, British colonialism and the British empire from the point of view view of uh, South Asian writers and Arab writers. Yeah, we've done um, a lot of shows yeah. on that too, Kamal. Well, your, your book is, I think, part of this, The Return, Why We Can't Go Back to Where We Come From. Um, a poignant, thoughtful, um, and very, very interesting book. Congratulations on that Thank book. You. You're talking to me from Vancouver. You never returned there because you didn't start there, but it's... no. You're, you're in perpetual movement. You went from Yemen to the UK, to Cairo, to Toronto now, Vancouver. Uh, what should people be reading in these 
peripatetic times come out? <laughs> uh, well, I'm the, 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 you already mentioned Omar Moalem's book, um, when you've had him on the show. Uh, I'm going to mention another Canadian Omar. His name is Omar Elakad. Um, and he is uh, recently, he just won the Giller Prize, which yeah. is the, uh, the, the, the Booker of Canada, as they say, uh, $100,000 as the, wow. the richest prize in Canada. And his book is called What's Strange Paradise? And it's really, you know, a look at climate refugees and people who are moving uh, through the point of view of well, two definitely children. Definitely have him on the show. It sounds like a lot. I would, I would, I think you should definitely have him and I, let me know if I can help in any way. Um, I am reading the, the Listeners by Jordan Tannehill. Um, experimental uh, uh, young novelist, Canadian novelist as well. Um, I'm, I'm reading, um, uh, so I'm, I always keep one book of fiction, one nonfiction going at the same time. So my nonfiction book at the moment is Joanne Chua's uh, book about China. Um, and then I, I Joanne's uh, been on the show too. Yeah, Joanne, you have, you've had, you've had all the good Canadians on the we show. Are, um, we are, and you've yeah. also had James McKibben, I understand. Um, yeah, we had uh, on, um, <laughs> back against consumer culture. Oh my so God. I've, where, but, where all the best Canadians come out. It's great. Well, thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Real so, honor, Al uh, Al to have you on the show, the author of, uh, the return, not the return. It's just okay. return. Wonderful new book. Um, Kamal, so much to talk about here. We've barely scratched the surface, so you'll have to. And again, I, I can't resist this. Uh, you'll have to return at some point <laughs> in the not too distant future. That's okay. Future. You can say this often. And we'll talk again in the not too distant future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Andrew. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks so much for watching this Keenon show. I hope you were inspired in some way. I hope you found it interesting. And if you want more of these kinds of shows, you need to subscribe uh, to the podcast uh, on the Apple or, or, or CastBox or Spotify platforms. All major podcast platforms carry the Keen On show. Or you can also watch live uh, on my Twitter page, uh, my LinkedIn network, uh, or on LitHub's uh, Facebook Live page. Um, I also hope you'll decide to follow me on Substack. Uh, I have a, a newsletter on Substack in which I develop and expand on a lot of the themes we discuss in the uh, Keenon show. And I hope you'll also follow up with me personally, uh, perhaps uh, to give suggestions for future shows. You might email me at a.keen at me.com. Or you may also email me with suggestions about potential guests. I'm very open, uh, very eager, in fact, to have requests, ideas of, of people with interesting new books and projects which I need to talk about. So thanks so much again for, for, for watching Keenon. I'm thrilled that you're a member of our community, and I'll look forward to hearing from you in the not-too-distant future.